bro. I love you much. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to take some time this morning. I want to, um, I want to teach, spend a little bit of time in the word of God. How many of you love the word of God? Amen. Amen. I'm glad everybody said amen. Because if not, we would have taught on something else. <laughs> Acts chapter 27, uh, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, uh, we're not going to have a ton on the screen uh, today unless they, it's a lot of work to keep up with this much scripture. So don't get aggravated at the media today. This is all on me. Amen. And look how fast they are. Goodness gracious. Acts chapter 27, verse 1. I still want us uh, to hold our Bibles open and just kind of stay in Acts chapter 27. It says, and when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So entering a ship of Adramadium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go on, his, go on to his friends to receive care. When we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy and he put us on board. We had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off of Nidus. The wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete of Salmone, passing it with difficulty. And we came to a place called Fair Havens. It was near the city of Lycae. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, he's talking about fair havens, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. I want to talk to us today about the port of Fair Havens. It's very, very important. Uh, I read all of those verses because you need to get the context of what's going on here. And I want to talk about that port that they landed in but didn't stay in. Amen? You can be seated. So in Acts 27:10, we see that Paul tries to get the men, the captains, all of the crew, he tries to get them to port there in Fair Havens. However, they choose not to listen and sail on to Phoenix. This is likely due, we understand now through history, we understand through archeology, span that the reason that they probably didn't want to stay there is due to the lack of convenience because Fair Havens was a pretty small port in comparison to the port of Phoenix. And the captain does not heed the man of God and they sail on in spite of the tumultuous winter and they, begin to set sail, even though this is the time of year that is not conducive to sail in. And by pursuing convenience, we'll find out that it was the most inconvenient decision they could have ever made. Now, despite the short distance from Fair Havens to Phoenix, getting there would be an absolute atrocious train wreck or shipwreck, as it were. Seeking uh, the convenience, 
is outstandingly inconvenient. So just outside of Fair Havens, if you were to look at a map and you were to actually do some geography, you'll find that right outside of Fair Havens, there's a shoreline that turns sharply to the north. The mountains continue on for a very short distance before it opens up to a flat pane of just ocean. And it's perfect. It is like idyllic for funneling in a northeast wind. So the ship sets sail and goes on west until it reaches the point and then it turns northwest, northwest towards Phoenix. All is going perfect. All is well. Everything is hunky-dory, if you will, until they hit that flat pane of open sea and they realize we have made a terrible mistake. So when they get out into this flat pane, a massive storm brews up. Many of you know the name of this storm. It goes by the name of Eurachlodon. This storm just hammers on their ship, begins to beat and batter on them, and they realize, man, we should have just set port in Fair Havens. But you can almost understand why they did this, right? I mean, we do this every day, don't we? Why would we winter... And you understand that this was uh, during the time of the feast. This was right at the time of the winter when it was at its worst. And so if we set sail or if we port here in Fair Havens, we're going to be here for months. And it's, it's a small port. We don't want to stay here for months. We're not that far from Phoenix. It's just, it's just a half day's journey from here to Phoenix. Let's just set sail and we'll have more resources when we get to Phoenix. This was all an endeavor for greater resources. This was all a, just a terrible decision. But when you're drawn away by your own lust for resources, seemingly good decisions turn out to be horrible decisions. It would have been far wiser just to winter in the small little tiny port of Fair Havens. So Paul, as we have seen, he advises them. He says, guys, I don't, I don't think this is a good call. Now, Paul, he's got some clout, okay? This is after he has written to the Corinthians, okay? He is, that's in his past. He's already written a letter to those, those folks. And what he told them is he's been in shipwrecks often. So this is post-shipwrecks often. So Paul is like, man, we've done this before. I don't think this is a good call. I know you're the captain, but I think we should, I think we should just set port here. I know there's not a lot of resources, but I think that we can ration. I think that we can somehow, you know, just buckle in for the ride and just winter here. And yet they don't heed the man of God. I'm going to segue here for a second. And I just, I want you, you need to understand where we are right now as a church in North America. Everything that's happening in North America right now, we've been talking about this for years. The people of God have been saying, if you let that go, this is what's going to happen. We have prophets that I've listened to since I was a little boy that has said that, man, if you start letting certain standards go, here's what's going to happen to the nation. They're going to have gender confusion. If we, if we drop this line right here where a man is a man and a woman is a woman, if we stop this, this has been said for years. We have been, we have been talking about the, the dangers of overconsumption of entertainment 
way back. I'm talking way before there was ever social media. You are in a boat called North America that you're not driving. You're not the captain of this ship, okay? We have leaders that are in place that are driving North America. And we're in a storm right now that we never wanted to be in. Amen? We are in the middle of a storm that we knew would end up like this. We've been crying all the way back here since the inconvenient place that if we pursue all of that, that convenience, it's going to be a world of trouble. You give a bathroom away to the genders and it's going to, it's going to devolve into a host of issues. But here we are. And we have to really understand that even though we're at sea, Paul is a prisoner. Okay, let's, let's make that abundantly clear. Paul was forced onto that boat and he's like, there's nothing, I can't, I'm a prisoner. The Alexandrians, the, the centurion is pushing me onto this boat. I know what, what we should be doing, but I'm being forced into a storm that I never wanted to be in. And so in the middle of Eurachlodon, it's, it's a combination of two Greek words, Euro and Clydon. It's, it means a northeastern wind. This is a massive hurricane level storm. Paul is sitting there in the middle of the storm and he is like, I told you guys, we, should have, we shouldn't have let all that, we should have just poured it in fair havens. I know it was inconvenient. I know it was tiny. I know there wasn't a lot of resources there. I know that it didn't look like liberty. I know it didn't look like freedom. I didn't know, I know it, but now do you see that that was a way better decision that pursuing convenience has proven to be the most inconvenient thing. And they have to start throwing resources overboard now. You see that like pursuing resources, they're now losing them. This is a massive upheaval. And here we are as prisoners, as, as it would seem, that we're sitting by and we're looking at stuff on the media now. And we're just like, I've been telling y'all. I've been saying this. And here we are. Now, what you need to understand, now that we've taken that segue and we come back, is though you're at sea on a flat pane, you're no longer covered by the mountains and you're out on the ocean and a northeast wind is hammering you, your soul can still be at Fair Havens. You can still, in your spirit, be ported at Fair Havens. You can still live inconvenient while everybody else around you is pursuing convenience. I think that's an awesome place for an amen. Not because I need it, but because the word of God is going to reveal this to us. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, this is what the Bible says, we let her drive. At this point, we're just going to be in the storm and we're going we're gonna to see that all of these things that have been prophesied, it's just going to happen one by one. We've been saying it. We've been saying it. And we can't get arrogant. We have to sit by. And at some point, America is going to look at the people of God and say, y'all been saying this. What do we need to do? Then can we speak. But you need to understand something as well, that God let Paul be on that boat. And we better thank God that Paul was in that boat and we're gonna find out why. So after they let her drive, verse 16, and running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff 
with difficulty. You know, it feels like our nation is taking leaps forward in carnality, in immorality. And then we, we start praying and we start pressing. And I, I preached about it Wednesday, the first night, when this, this problems are cultivating within us passion for prayer again. And that's a great thing. And so we're, we're like holding on for dear life and we're securing the church, but with great difficulty, it would feel. And this is what they're doing with their vessel. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing that they should run aground on the Syrtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. So in this, back in this time, this would have probably been a vessel that would hold about 130 uh, prisoners. And so as the storm is hammering their boats, they would take these cables and I don't know how they would have done it, but it would have been extremely dangerous, but they would have to take the cables and wrap it around the hull and then crank it tight. So just to keep the ship alive, we did that by the way, I don't, I know that many of you are, are, you know, you attend this church, but the leaders of the church will know what I mean. It was like tying a cable around the church during a pandemic, wasn't it? I mean, we secured this thing with great difficulty. The spirit was leading and guiding, but there are still casualties. I'm traveling all across North America and I have found pastors with PTSD because no matter what they, they did, the saints were gonna be mad. If they kept the doors open, they were mad. If they shut the doors, they were mad. If they told them to wear a mask, they were mad. If they told them not to wear a mask, they were mad. Nobody, like you couldn't make anybody happy during the pandemic. And I'm traveling from place to place and pastors are sitting in their living room just sobbing because they, just, they don't know what else to do. We, we are here by the grace of God on the other side of it in a post-pandemic society, but it was with great, great difficulty. I'm gonna segue right here. Please be thankful for the leadership. Please be thankful for the leadership. And if you were mad at them over decisions, pray about it, man. It's not worth the division. It's just not worth the division. Nothing is. So just calm it down and let's, let's move forward. It was a great, great, difficult time. So when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the sea to sands, they struck sail and they were driven. Verse 18, and because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. So the resources that they were pursuing... Now, you understand the resources that were in the boat, they could have used at Fair Havens. But now they're at sea. They're neither at Fair Havens nor Phoenix. They don't even know how to get to Phoenix at this point because there's such a bad storm, they can't even get a heading. So now the resources they have, they're losing. All to pursue convenience and resources. So now they're going backwards on their plan, all due to a lack of heeding the man of God. So they lightened the ship. On the third day, we were thrown, or we threw the ship's tackle overboard. Hold on. So now the things to get resources, we're losing that too. We're losing resources. We're losing the ability to obtain resources. This is an abysmal mistake. So here we are. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Do you understand the power of that, that verse? Brother Paulson, Luke is the one writing this. The we is talking about Luke and Paul. Now, you gotta understand, 
Paul has a word from God here. Paul was told two years before this moment that he must stand before Caesar and God was gonna bring him before Caesar. Paul hasn't been before Caesar yet. Paul has a word from God. Paul has been in shipwrecks often. Paul has been beaten. Paul has been left for dead. Paul has been denied by his own brethren in Corinth. Paul has, has been told, you're not a good preacher. We'd rather have Apollos as our pastor. We like Apollos better than your preaching. All of this stuff has happened to Paul. Paul has got some corn in the crib, okay? Paul's got a resume. Paul's got some clout. Paul's done this before. On top of all that, Paul's got a word from God that he hasn't seen come to pass yet. How bad was this storm that Paul, with all of that, gives up all hope? The apostle Paul. So the, the situations we're in, it feels a little hopeless at times. It really does. As we, we look at the morality in our nation, as we look at all the stuff that's going on, there's, there's uh, North Korea just met just this week with Russia and North Korea is gonna start supplying Russia with ammunition for the war in Ukraine. This is all happening, this, this has all happened this week. Russia just put into combat readiness one of the largest nuclear warheads of all history, of all times ever. There's nothing even close to the size of this atomic bomb. And so for America, what America did was they launched the Minuteman III, our nuclear warhead, as a test. It was, it was obviously not armed, but they launched it to see if they could. Later next month, they're going to send out across the nation the, uh, the first time since the 40s, they're going to send out one of the, um, I forget what it's called, but it's the... Um, it's a national alert system. They wanna see if it still works. And this alert is used for if there's ever a nuclear attack. They're testing it next month to see if it still works. There's so much fear happening right now. There was just a conversation with the vice president this week saying, look, hey, Joe Biden is, he's in his 80s. We don't even know if he's gonna make it the rest of this year. Are you prepared to take over as commander in chief if Joe Biden dies? Do you know what's going on in our world right now? Like, we've got to get it together. We're in the middle of a storm that we never wanted to be in. We never asked to be in it, but God put us in it. He let us be here. What for? What is the point of Paul, a man with a word, a man who knows where we should stay, a man who saw what was coming? It's now here and that prophecy came to pass. Why would Paul allow, or why would God allow Paul to be in the middle of the storm and allow Paul's emotions to get so beat on that all hope was given up? Let's, let's look at ourselves introspectively right now that if you have felt overwhelmed, you're in good company. Paul felt overwhelmed. And so after long abstinence, can you put up verse 21 for me? Acts 27, 21. There's a powerful truth that we need to see nestled within these passages. Acts 27, 21. It says, but after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. Verse 22. And now I exhort you, I urge you, I beg of you, be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you. 
But the ship, we're going to lose that thing. Here's a, a powerful truth that God has, God hit me with this so hard, the beginning of this year. This is all I've been speaking. I've been asking God, I said, you open a door for me to minister this anywhere I minister. And this, this word right here that I'm ministering today, I've been preaching everywhere that I go. I don't see much hope for the America that you once loved. I believe that thing's gonna, gonna sink. But there will be no loss. Okay? Why? Because Paul is on that boat. Did you hear what was happening after abstinence, a long abstinence from food? Did you hear that? Men, you should have listened to me. Verse 22 tells there will be no loss of life. Look at verse 23. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. I don't know what happened to Paul between verse 20 and 21. I don't, I don't know what, but I do. Right here, this is what happened between verse 20 and 21 was a night where an angelic host came down on that boat, met with the man of God whose heart was, was still at Fair Havens, who was still tied to inconvenience because the man's fasting in the middle of a storm. I mean, my goodness, Paul, eat something, bro. This is it. This is the last hurrah. You're going to go down with the ship. Have a meal. No. I'm still at Fair Havens, even though I'm here with y'all. Do you know why he was fasting? He didn't just decide, you know, he, Jews don't fast. I mean, the custom of fasting, we've kind of distorted that. We treat fasting like it's spiritual currency to buy stuff. If I fast, then I can get a miracle. Fasting, they would do during the feast as a preparation at times. Other times they would fast as a form of grieving. When somebody died, go read the Old Testament. Every time somebody died, they fasted. They were emptying themselves to grieve because the world is now empty of one more image of God. And so fasting was grieving. For us, it's, it's buying stuff. Like, I fasted, give me a miracle. That's, that's not. In fact, every time somebody fasted, it was after the miracle in the Bible. Moses went on a 40-day fast after the fire fell on the mountain. Elijah went on a 40-day fast after the fire fell and he defeated the 400 prophets of Baal. Jesus went on a 40-day fast after the voice of God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. They fasted after the result. Why? Same reason your iPhone gets an update. There's a cloud push from, from Apple headquarters that's being pushed to your phone. You don't get the update till you turn the phone off. When you turn the phone on, my wife, she's always like three updates behind and she'll look at my phone and she'll be like, why does your phone do this and mine doesn't? I says, yours can too. The difference between me and you is I turn mine off. You have the same access to the spiritual things that other men and women of God have. Some just turn themselves off and go into a season of prep to download into their spirits what God just introduced into the atmosphere. We all have access to that. There's no ladder of ministry. It's a staircase, and we can all fit on the same staircase at the same time. The level you're on is determined by your pursuit. Amen? So Paul is fasting right here because it was that time of year. It was the time of the feast. And he's fasting because that's what good, devout Jews do during a feast. He's maintaining a custom. He's performing a habit, a religious habit in the middle of a storm. 
I'm going to say that again. He's adhering to a habit in the middle of a storm. Do not look. Paul's sitting there and he's like, look, y'all can throw out the, the tackle if you want to. You can throw out all of, the, all of the, the resources that we had. You can throw out all the stuff you want to. But as for me, I'm not throwing anything overboard. I'm going to adhere to my religious habits even though this ship may sink. I'm not stopping. And that's the one that the angel met with. The angel didn't meet the captain. The angel met with the man who was maintaining his habits in the middle of a storm. Come on, Paul, just give up the habits, bro. Just live a little. We're going down with the ship. I don't know if you've noticed, but we don't even have, we have no food. Well, that's a good time to fast, isn't it? We don't, we don't have any tackle to obtain food. That's why I'm fasting. Uh, we don't, we're probably going to lose this ship. I don't know if you know this, but we have been in the storm for days and we have seen neither sun nor stars nor moon. Nothing is going right for us, but I'm here. The fact that the church is still here is the greatest hope. The Bible tells us in Thessalonians until he is moved out of the way that that son of perdition cannot come. You are here by divine order of God. The church is what's holding everything back. What has been allowed has been allowed, even though the church, we have to make sure we keep saying, let's stay at Port at the port of fair havens let's stay at fair havens we have to keep preaching that what the nation does is what the nation's going to do god put us in the middle of a storm because he trusted us and he said i need somebody adhering to their religious habits in the middle of a storm because that's who i'm going to speak to and so the angel speaks to him and says, there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. You see that? That's a two-year-old word that Paul hasn't seen come to pass yet. Paul has been told this already in the past. And the angel came to him and reminded him, Paul, I noticed in verse 20 of your life in the storm that you have given up all hope. We're not mad at you. We understand that you're in a position you never asked to be in. We get it. So we're here. God has sent me to speak to you, the, to remind you that you're going before Caesar. You're not going to die in the storm. You are on this boat and God has given thee all of the people on the boat you sail with. Did you hear it? This boat should have sank with all the people on it, but because Paul is there. But because Paul is there. But because Brother Paulson, his family are here. But because Bishop and his precious wife are here. But because you are there. But because the church is here. You are not just some building that was slapped right here on Apostolic Way, right here in the middle of Bismarck, just because we had nothing else better to do. You are divinely placed. And if you don't like that and you don't believe that, that's fine. You can believe what you want to. You can have Barabbas, but I'll have Jesus. Go ahead. God will give you what you want. You can have what you want. You have your own free will. You can smile about it. You can smirk at me about it. It is fact. You are here. And when the boat goes down and that's what you put your faith in, have fun with that. As for me and those that believe this, we're going to Rome to minister to Caesar. 
That's bottom line. That's brass tacks. That's, that's fact. The church is the answer. God allowed Paul to be on a boat. And so it says, do not be afraid, Paul. You're going to be brought before Caesar. And I have given you all of those that are on the ship. Verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told to me. He has told me a future thing that we haven't seen. We're still here in this boat, but I believe it. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't have the answer. I don't know. It seems like this boat's going to go down, but we're not. I believe God. But here's the facts. Verse 26. Here's just the truth. Howbeit, we're gonna, we're, this boat's going to go down, fellas. I, we can't save the ship, but the lives on it we can. Let me, let me just poke the bear here. Keep trying to make America great again. Go ahead. I'm focused on the Americans. I'm focused on the souls of America. While you're focused on the ship, I'm focused on the people in it. I'm not anti-America. I love our freedoms. I am come from a military family. I get it. I love it. I'm thankful for it. I'd much rather be here than in China. I'd much rather be here than anywhere else on the planet. But I'm not trying to make America great again. I want to see the kingdom made great. Because if the kingdom comes, his will be done, everyone on the ship can be invited to something better than a boat. God has built us a ship that is not America. The government that's on his shoulders, it's the church. If it was America, then what are we going to do about the Philippines? Amen? What about the precious Filipino people? If, if America is the government, then there's no hope for the Philippines. There's no hope for any other nation. Just us. It's everyone in this kingdom. And this kingdom covers the globe for every disciple that's in the kingdom. We are the answer to America. I'm not trying to vote in things to fix America. I'm the answer. Just a little history lesson. Do you know where we got hospitals from? Schools? The church. And I can't remember what year it was. There's, there's a litany of studies out on this right now. There was a point where the church got tired with, with working with those that were of lower social class and were broken and sick. And that was the reason for the hospital. We're the ones who created that Okay, schooling, we're the ones who came up with that. Some point in history, I can't remember what time period it was. Uh, I need to go look back at, at some notes. But we decided we'd, we'd rather the government handle all of that. And we just focus on our, our local government. We gave away our responsibility of caring for the broken. And we started voting it in through Congress. Okay, so you take care of the broken, we'll take care of ourselves. We were the answer. And we gave that away to vote in. So now we're fighting on, we're trying to vote to, to save babies. Go save babies. Go stand at the abortion hall and adopt. But we, we want to vote it in so we don't have to deal with it. We've done this backwards. We've handed our responsibility over. 
We're the answer. We're the body. You are the Jesus still on this planet because the spirit abides inside of us. Don't say, why do bad things happen to good people? You need to say, why does the church let bad things happen to good people? Now, that doesn't mean you can fix everything. I understand that. I get that. Every woman that wants to abort a baby and you give them an option, I'll take the baby, they, still can, they can still abort the baby. But at least we tried. Now, when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. When they had gone a little farther, they took sounding again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea under the pretense of putting out anchors from the, the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in this ship, you cannot be saved. We cannot just abort the mission that we've been called to. I also, just so you know, I'm balanced here. I did get aggravated with people that when, when we had certain things coming to America, they're like, that's it, I'm moving to Canada. Go ahead, it's no better over there. Stay. Stay in your city. Stay in your context. Ask God if you should quit that job. Maybe you're the answer there. Maybe you're not. Go ask him. Don't leave. Don't abandon ship. We're still called to North America. Unless God has called you overseas. Maybe he has. But I'm called to North America. I am here. I'm going to fight for godliness in my nation, in my state, in my city. That is our call. I'm going to fight for the church that's in this boat. So there's something so powerful that begins to manifest. This was obviously a, a watershed moment for Paul. It was a landmark moment for Paul because now after we see that Paul writes to those in Ephesus. So this storm was around AD 61 that Paul was caught in. And a few months later, Paul writes a letter to those in Ephesians or in Ephesus. So Ephesians 4.11, he tells them some instruction. And he himself, talking about Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may we grow up into him in all these things, which is the head, even Christ. You're going to notice something that after Eurachlodon, all of Paul's later letters have storm terminology in them. All of them. This storm, it's, it's similar to me after the storm of AJ and Amanda's life of losing a child in a house fire, just about every sermon is going to be sprinkled with pain. If you listen to the way I preached pre-fire, it sounds very different than I preached post-fire. My life has been shaped by a storm. You can't help but, but that happen. All of us, our life message will get different after Eurachlodon. I preach about heaven more passionately than I ever have. I believe in it more than I ever did. I am more passionate about the gospel than I've ever been. This, this is 
not something I do because I don't have nothing better to do. I am eat up with this. I'm passionate about the word of God. And Paul is going to use this Eurachlodon storm terminology. And right here he says, don't be tossed to and fro. I've, I've done this before, fellas. I've seen the storm, what it does to ships when you're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. For him, the, the storm is doctrine. A war on doctrine. Paul is going to equate Eurachlodon to a doctrinal upheaval. And this isn't the only place he does this. He tells his protege, Timothy, just a few months after he writes to Ephesus, he says, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies. This is 1 Timothy 1, 18. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. Hold up. The word rejected there, or putting away in, is this the KJV? I'm reading from the NKJV. Put away, rejected, comes from a Greek word which means toss overboard. He said, there are some around you, Timothy, that have tossed overboard the doctrines. Don't do that. I've seen this before, Timothy. I saw this eight months ago. I watched all of my counterparts toss everything overboard in the pursuit for convenience. And they, they made mistakes. They lost everything. Hear me close, church. If you didn't hear anything else I've said, I'm trying to build up the narrative of what's going on in Paul's life right here. In your pursuit of convenience, do not toss overboard doctrine. Hold on. Now, let me pause for a second. Doctrine isn't just the oneness of God, baptism in the name of Jesus, Holy Ghost and feeling by the evidence of speaking to God. The word doctrine means teaching. All of the doctrines. I want us to get all of these doctrines. There is a doctrine of sonship. There's a doctrine of justification. There's a doctrine of sanctification. There's a doctrine of fasting. There's a doctrine of holiness. There's a doctrine of righteousness. Did you know righteousness and holiness aren't even the same thing? You would know that if we would study doctrine. While everybody else in the non-denominal world and even within our denominal world is tossing overboard doctrine to get convenience, we'll grow more if we toss overboard doctrine. I contest that, that Paul won an entire ship by maintaining customs. By not letting anything go, an angelic host came and met with him by adhering. And so Paul has seen this. Not only has he seen it, he has lived this. And Paul can now look at this and say to a Timothy, who's a pastor of a church, and the elders of the church are beating on Timothy. They're despising him because of his youth. And Paul has told him, said, don't let anybody look down on you because of your age. He said, hold fast the doctrines. But then he switches gears and he tells Timothy, he says, but you better respect those elders as well. Even though they look down on you for your age, don't don't you dare talk about them. He says, don't rebuke an elder. Same letter. That's a doctrinal statement. So what we do is as young men, young women, when the elders are like, you know, treating us what we think unfairly, we just were like, my body, my choice. I'll do what I want. You know, like we, we've, we've introduced all of that carnality in our life. And so what we do is we start just talking. By the way, do you know the Hebrew word for gossip is Satan, where we get our English word Satan? We go around Sataning. We go around being like a little devil. And we're talking about the church and it all splits and goes haywire. And we're sitting by and like, yeah, they all left because the elders were doing it wrong. No, we left because of your mouth. 
we would know better. One little stroll through Timothy. He says, don't toss overboard the things concerning the faith. Hold faith and a good conscience. Some have put it away. They've tossed it overboard. And they have become shipwrecked. Again, Paul is making shipwreck equal to throwing away doctrine. He said, we'll lose this boat. We'll lose the boat of North America by carnality. We'll lose the boat of the church by tossing overboard doctrine. We're going to lose the church if we don't. And this, hear me, please. If you're just kind of like zoning out because, well, the doctrine's for the pastors, it's for the evangelists, you're all supposed to know this. You don't get a pass. You were filled with the Holy Ghost and kept here. The Holy Ghost is not just your little golden ticket to heaven. If it was, you wouldn't be here right now. You would have already been raptured. You're still here for what? You are called to be an absolute Bible nerd. This is your media. This is your Netflix. This is your social media feed. This is your news. Okay, all of this right here. And we have proven that we are really good at media. Just apply those same principles from media to Bible. Because when you do, you'll be steadfast, unmovable, and you will abound. The word of God will keep you. The word of God, the boat may sink, but the church won't. But the church that has no doctrine, Paul tells him, he says, those that have tossed overboard the doctrines, they've suffered shipwreck. And he names them. Paul does something very unique here in verse 20. He names the people. Of whom is Hymenus and Alexander, whom I've, I've just, I've turned them over. They're going to do what they're going to do. And they need to learn not to blaspheme. I'm going to mention one name. Okay. Please be careful when you get on YouTube and you listen to Michael Todd. Because I put him in the same category as these fellas. All right. Michael Todd is some non-denominal guy who is professing to be a pastor. I have never in all, in 18 years of full-time ministry, have I ever heard anybody so doctrinally off. He is outlandishly off. Be careful. I've seen more apostolic people sharing his sermon post. And I've, I've, I've looked at that and I said, do they know where he stands doctrinally? Because they just let all of their family that they're trying to reach know that that was a digital amen. By, by sharing Michael Todd, you just amened him digitally. Yes, and I believe. I don't believe him. Michael Todd, just, he just came out with this video and it's got millions of shares. Some by apostolic people and this floored me. There was the video, he said, y'all over here, y'all praying to the Father. The, the Father ain't listening to y'all. The Father up there in heaven, he said, this is Michael Todd speaking. The Father be like, man, I sent my son. He said, so then you start praying in the name of Jesus. And Jesus looking at y'all like, I don't know what y'all praying to me for. I finished my work on the cross. I'm done. He said, meanwhile, y'all aren't praying in the spirit. That is chaos. That is chaos. I, I would love to meet with him and, and just break on the scripture and say, where did you get that? 
That's nowhere in the book I'm reading. I have read, I read this book 12 times a year and I can't find what you're saying, Michael. And so I say to the people of God who also have a Bible, why share him? I just, I was shown a debate recently amongst people within our faith. There was this big online debate. I'm not on social media for these reasons. Somebody sent this to me. And they sent me this, this argument online where a minister said, he said, you know what? I don't even know if we need word. He said, I've seen more people receive the gift of the Holy Ghost during the worship. I don't know. We don't even need preaching anymore. We don't, why do we need word? We have worship. I was sitting there like, how would you know to worship without the word? What about Nehemiah 6, where they heard the word and fell down and worshiped? What about Jesus, who was the word, and he said, now is the time for the true worshipers to arise, and the Father seeketh such that worship him in spirit and truth. You can't remove worship from word. That's not two different things. It's like a quarter. You get heads and tails. When you get worship, you get word. When you get word, you have worship. And I was like, you would know this. We can't, we can't toss overboard. We cannot replace Bible study with meme theology. We cannot replace true biblical digging for video clips on, on the YouTube shorts. We can't replace that. We can't replace that. We have got to understand that doctrine is what we should have and the church will stay afloat with doctrine and we will never sink. But the second we toss that overboard, the church is going down. But here's what I know. God's going to have a church. If we're not reading and studying doctrine, God's going to reveal it to whosoever he will. You can't control the wind. That's in the book too. The wind goes where it wants to. I have been listening to certain non-denominal pastors. One just got up. I have a friend of mine. God spoke to my friend to go and attend on a Sunday night, a non-denominal church. And God said, I want you to listen to what is said. That pastor got up and tears in his eyes. He said, church, I've been, I've been leading you guys astray. I have noticed in the book that we have got to speak in other tongues as the evidence of being filled with his spirit. They are getting revelation. And I rejoice about that. If they're getting this revelation, they're going to get all the other ones as well. We're all growing up into the fullness and the stature. Meanwhile, I'm seeing some apostolics toss overboard. And they'll look at the non-denominals and they'll say, they don't know anything. They're catching up. Thank God it's not a race. But we can't toss overboard. What's happening is the non-denominal church is trying to get to where we used to be. And we're trying to get to where the non-denominal church is. We want to be relevant. We want to be hip. We're not actors. We're Bible students. We're Holy Ghost-filled disciples. That is our call. Put up for me Hebrews 2, and I'm going to finish here. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, and then I'm going to read Hebrews 6, 17. I don't, we don't fully know, Brother Paulson, who wrote the book of Hebrews. I have some theories, and obviously this is going to, I'm, it's going to be theoretical here, who the author is. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to base my life on this. But it's important that we notice the book of Hebrews is written A.D. 63. This is a mere year and a half, two years after Eurachlodon, okay? And this particular letter or sermon, it's not a letter, 
Uh, it's a sermon. These are sermon notes. It talks about storms more than any other book. It would seem Paul could be the author. Now, again, I'm not going to stake my life on that. It doesn't matter to me who wrote it. The message is still the same. But listen to what this author says. Hebrews 2, 1, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. That word slip is Greek for drift away. And give the more earnest heed. It's a nautical term. It's a Greek nautical term. It's the word that a captain would use or a phrase the captain would use when he was steering a Greek ship. It was the phrase he would use to get them to port. They would stand on the bow of the ship and they would cry out in English, but in Greek they would use another phrase, but give the more earnest heed. And this was to let the sails down at the right time so that the ship land right at the port. If they didn't do it at the right time, they would shoot past the port or fall short of the port. And this author is saying, if we will give the more earnest heed. Now in context, what he has said, the give the more earnest heed, he has already talked about doctrine. The author has been teaching about doctrine for a whole chapter and he gets to chapter two and he says, so now having said all that, let us give the more earnest heed to all the things which we have heard, lest we shoot past the port. Doctrine's gonna land us over there where it's safe. If not, we're gonna drift right on past it and we're gonna be at the mercies of the sea. But this book right here will land you at the port we're supposed to be at. In the grand scheme of things, the word of God is going to land you right at the sunny shores of heaven. Here in this temporal earth, this book is going to land you right in the kingdom where we belong until the sunny shores come. Doctrine is an absolute church. He doesn't stop there though. He goes on in Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17. I'm going to read a few. It says, thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, that's us, the immutability of his counsel, he confirmed it by oath. Verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Now, this confuses a lot of people in reading. The two immutable things, he's going to break down one after another in the next chapter and the following chapter. It's two proofs. Two solid proofs that we have a strong consolation. And he talks about we have a high priest. And the high priest can't die. That's the first immutable thing. Not only that, but we have a high priest who's after the order of Melchizedek. That's the second immutable thing. Melchizedek is the Hebrew phrase king of righteousness. The word righteous means you do well for someone who can't do for themselves. Our king paid off our debt. We couldn't afford it. That's the second proof. First proof that we can take this to the bank and put all our faith into it and have a strong consolation. We're consoled by these two immutable things is we have this great high priest who cannot die and he became the lamb and died for us. So therefore our sins aren't rolled over for another year. They're rolled over for eternity. And here's why. Because the one who did it can't die. Mekilzedek. Mekilzedek is considered an anomaly within Jewish custom because Mekilzedek, they don't know where he came from. They don't know where he went. They don't know his birth year. They don't know his death year. So he remains king in Salem forever. The word Salem is the Hebrew word Sholem. We have a king of peace. 
We don't know his birth date. We don't know his death date. He remains king forever and he's righteous. That is our consolation. But he doesn't stop there. Go on. It says, which we have as a hope. It's like an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast. And that anchor is tied to that which is beyond the veil. What's beyond the veil? Your heavenly father. God almighty is what is on the other side of that veil. And these Things, these consolations, this high priest, this, this Melchizedek, this king of righteousness, that's our consolation. And that consolation is like an anchor and it's tied. That anchor is, is hooked into the sandbar of your heavenly father. And the rope that ties you to that anchor, that consolation, doctrine. So when you learn a doctrine, it's like adding another strand around that rope. When you learn the doctrine of sonship, it's like a strand that ties around the rope. When you understand the doctrine of righteousness, it's like a strand that thickens the rope. Every doctrine you study and the more time you spend in it, that rope's getting thicker and thicker and thicker so that it doesn't matter what wind of doctrine comes across social media. You're anchored to the one true God because you have doctrine tying you to him. And no matter what comes, no matter what happens in America, you're not moving you're not sinking you're going to abound and angelic hosts will meet with you and say because you've got doctrine we can trust you with revelation because you're not going to go crazy with it I can give you a dream in the night and you will know what to do with it because you can back it up with scripture and you can toss out the dream because you ate pizza because you know it don't line up with the book God can't trust you with visions because you'll go out telling it and you won't even know if that was a vision you just were reenacting a movie you saw 20 years ago but if you have doctrine you can take the vision you saw and say that's biblical and you can speak it with authority and heaven back it up no doctrine no spirituality the most spiritual thing you'll do today is sit down pray and then read your bible because it's thickening the rope and you won't be moved this isn't just on a corporate church level it's an individual because you are the church every child of God that digs and studies doctrine they will not be moved pastor they won't gossip they're not going to backbite they're not going to hurt each other they're not going to talk about you they're not going to discuss the problems they're not going to talk about the stuff going on in the world they're just going to be steadfast unmovable always abounding because their mouths are going to be bound by scripture their actions are going to be motivated by scripture their worship's going to be motivated by scripture when problems come they're going to be steadfast they're not moving they're going to be the most faithful they're going to be pillars in your church the pillars that we had were the ones that we built all this stuff on because they were strong enough to hold the church and they were strong enough to hold the church because of the doctrine that they were studying. And now that this responsibility, if you were here yesterday and you saw what God showed me of the, of the house, I believe that we are called to be the pillars of the end time church. And I don't want this church shaken around. I want it to be sure and steadfast because it's built on somebody that is founded in doctrine. We have two minutes. Where God gave me all of this, this isn't just me studying and just reading the Bible. I'm, I'm a firm believer of hearing from God and then reading the word of God, putting it all together and then communicating to the church. I was traveling from um, St. Louis back to Louisiana. Had about a six hour drive. About an hour out from home, I was, I was in prayer just meditating and the Holy Ghost just hit me in my truck. I began to pray, and usually when God does this, he's having me pray for the region I just drove through, but this was different. And so I just, I began to pray, and I just 
felt a burden begin to swell up in me. And all of a sudden, I saw this vision. I saw a huge storm sail off in the distance. It looked like an enormous hurricane. And, you know, we're, we're sensitive to hurricanes in Louisiana. And so I knew it was a big old hurricane. But it was way off in the distance. Connected to it were these outer bands of wind and rain. And this outer band came, and there was a group of people that got hammered by the wind and rain. And they buckled down, and they just they couldn't do a lot of moving. They were just getting hounded by this rain. And I watched a few of them. They threw their hands up, and they shook their head, and they just walked, off, walked away. All of a sudden, the, wa- the rain ended, and when it did, there was a break in between the storms, and it was sunshine. And that group of people that was left started marching forward. All of a sudden, another band hit them. Same thing. They were hounded, and then a group threw their hands up and walked off. The vision ended, and I said, God, I said, what is that? He said, you tell my church as I send you out that the storm that hit them, the pandemic, he said, that was not the hurricane. He said, that was nothing but outer bands connected to that. I said, oh, my God, that wasn't the worst of it. He said, no, that was just but an outer band. He said, and I've watched many people walk away. He said, tell my church. There's another band coming. He said, you tell my church prophetically what I have shown you. There's another band that is coming. I feel that it's going to be tied to economic unrest, and I feel there's going to be some things happen financially. That's what I'm feeling. I can't, I can't stake my life on that, but that's what I'm feeling in my spirit. And so you can, you can test that, discern it if you want to. That's fine with me. I'm not going to hurt my feelings. But I do know 100% from God there's another band that is coming. And I saw those people throw their hands up and walk away. And I said, God, what about the people who walked off? He said, those are the ones who knew no doctrine. He said, I'm going to send you. And he said, stop feeling the pressure to preach. I want you to teach as much as you preach. He said, I want you to slow it down. He said, because I want my people to understand that the storm will not affect them if they can anchor themselves through doctrine. And so I implore you, I implore you, Please dig into the doctrines. Here's a good place to start. When you hear a sermon preached by the leadership here, go home and start studying. He's already given you the launching pad. Go home and start like, man, that was good. I want to go, I want to dig into it even more. You have your study topic for the week. And then when you come back and he's still preaching on it, teaching on it, you can come in and you can worship and amen with him because you just read it. Let's be people of doctrine. Let's lift our hands. Father, in your name, I believe that you have a mighty church. I believe that there are many like Paul that's in this ship. I believe that there will be many who are going to not only understand doctrine, but they're going to be like Philip and they're going to come across Ethiopian eunuchs and say, understand us what thou readest. And they're going to show them the word of God more accurately. Father, they are here in this room. There's going to be profound men and women of God. There are already profound men and women of God. I pray that this be confirmation to things they're already feeling. But God, as things come, God, whether it's prophetic or not, it's still biblical that in this world we will have trouble. God, there's going to be winds of doctrine that's going to be blowing throughout our media outlets. God, let us discern those things. Let us discern them and weigh it against scripture. Let us not take everything at face value, but God, let us dig and see if it is so. Let us be a church of Bereans where God, Paul ministered to them and they said, let us go and study to see if all these things are so. God, let us not be intimidated as leaders if someone doesn't take 
take what we preached at face value either. God, myself, if someone doesn't just listen to me, but says, let me go study it. God, let me be like Paul and say, great are you. And let them go forth and see that everything that you're saying is in your word. Father, we give you glory. We know that you are going to keep us. We know that you have kept us here in this storm for we are the answer because of your spirit in us. But God, let us be so grounded and anchored in truth that God, we cannot be moved. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Pastor, do you have anything? Just dismiss, okay. Y'all are dismissed until second service, which is now, yeah, five minutes.